Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for book 14, chapter 9. You know, when we finish this book in a couple of months, we are three books away from finishing the list. That's pretty exciting. Um, you know, I, I, I think about like, you know, there's still heaps left to go. And part of that was because of how big War and Peace is, and I knew that that was on the list. You know, that was going to take a whole year, but we're nearly through that. And then there's three books to go, and I don't know how long those three books are, but I feel like we'll be finished that within next year. Then I won't know what to do with my life. (laughs) Or my podcast, for that matter. Exciting. We'll have to start voting soon as well on what to read next. Um... We'll probably do that in December, so we don't have to start real soon, but interesting to start thinking about that. Come January, we'll be jumping back out of this subreddit and back into the Hemingway list to continue our way through the list. Very cool. All right. Anywho, we're talking about Book 14, Chapter 9. What do you think Tolstoy meant by centering this chapter and the preceding ones on Denisov and Dolokhov? How do these characters compare to one another, and is it significant that they are on this dangerous assignment together? Do you think one or the other is better suited to the work? I th- no, that's a good question. Denisov seems a little more level-headed, but then Dolokhov's um, his uh, his excitement might actually be handy in a situation like this. And his bravado, like right now, he's gone with Petra just straight behind enemy lines, and they're just hanging out with the enemy. And you can see Petra's a bit nervous. Dolokhov's just gung-ho. That's got to be beneficial in this situation. I mean, it's also very likely to get you killed, but um, also it's very likely to stop you from getting killed. I think if they were both acting nervous, the French would be a lot more suspicious, but the fact that Dolokhov's just so confident, they seem to be like, well, he can't possibly be faking it. No one will be this confident if they're faking it. But that's really his superpower, isn't it? His supreme confidence. Ubiquitous says, so Ubiquitons, Ubiquitons. I don't, have I ever read that username? Are you new here? Ubiquitons? Ubiquitons says, I have a bad feeling about this pairing. Dolokhov continues to be absolutely vile and there did seem to be some ominous vibes at the end here with the reaction to his over-the-top statement about the Russian prisoners. Also, it really doesn't seem like he learned much of anything useful. So what was the point taking this risk? Good question. Kara Kikar says, I'm reminded of an earlier battle where Dolokhov went out onto the frozen lake and told others to follow him. Of course, Dolokhov was fine, but all the men that followed him died. Poor Petra is seeing his heroics and thinking to follow. This is going to end badly. I forgot that that was Dolokhov that led those people out onto the ice. That's, um... How did I forget that? I've read this book twice. FDLP says, I can't believe that they made it out of there unscathed, at least so far. The Halloween feel was a nice coincidence. Dark woods, indistinct voices all around, a shadow squirting past the road, stirring of a pot around a campfire. True. Halloween vibes. And Wap Wap Away says, How come no one picked up Dolokhov's Russian accent? Surely he has one. And I suppose the point of this little trip was to make sure... There weren't any surprises waiting when they attack. Reconnaissance mission, you reckon? 
Um, it's a great little pair up of characters right now. I love the um, contrast between Denisov and Dolokhov. I love Petra being there and just being this absolute kind of like I don't know, he's almost like a wild card. Like you don't know how he's going to react when shit actually hits the fan, so to speak. And then you've got this Tikon guy who's just a total badass. We've got this great little team here. Um, I love when a book does that, or even a movie or whatever, where you get these characters individually, and then at a certain point of the story, they all come together into like a central scene. Let's read, shall we? Chapter 10. Having returned to the watchman's hut, Petya found Denisov in the passage. He was awaiting Petya's return in a state of agitation, anxiety, and self-reproach for having let him go. Thank God, he exclaimed. Yes, thank God, he repeated, listening to Petya's rapturous account. But devil take you, I haven't slept because of you. Well, thank God, now lie down. We can still get a nap before morning. But, no, said Petya. I don't want to sleep yet. Besides, I know myself, if I fall asleep, it's finished, and that I am used to not sleeping before a battle. He sat a while in the hut, joyfully recalling the details of his expedition and vividly picturing to himself what would happen next day. Then, noticing that Denisov was asleep, he rose and went out of the outdoors. It was still quite dark outside. The rain was over, but drops were still falling from the trees. Near the watchman's hut, the black shapes of the Cossacks' shanties and of horses tethered together could be seen. Behind the hut, the dark shapes of the two wagons with their horses beside them were discernible, and in the hollow, the dying campfire gleamed red. Not all the Cossacks and Hussars were asleep. Here and there, amid the sounds of falling drops and the munching of the horses nearby, could be heard low voices which seemed to be whispering. Petya came out, peered into the darkness and went up to the wagons. Someone was snoring under them, and around them stood saddled horses munching their oats. In the dark... Petra recognised his own horse, which he called Karabakh, though it was of Ukrainian breed and never went up to it. Well, Karabakh, we'll do some service tomorrow, said he, sniffing its nostrils and kissing it. Why aren't you asleep, sir? said a Cossack, who was sitting under a wagon. No, uh... Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, uh, Likachev. Isn't that your name? Do you know I have only just come back? We've been to the French camp. And Petcher gave the Cossack a detailed account, not only of his ride, but also of his object and why he considered it better to risk his life than to act just anyhow. Well, you should get some sleep now, said the Cossack. No, I'm used to this, said Petcher. I say, aren't the flints in your pistols worn out? I brought some with me. Do you want any? You can have some. The Cossack bent forward from under the wagon to get a closer look at Petcher. "'Because I am accustomed to do everything accurately,' said Petya. "'Some fellows do things just anyhow, with pre- without preparation, "'but then they're sorry for it afterwards.' "'I don't like that.' "'Just so,' said the Cossack. "'Yes, another thing. "'Please, my dear fellow, will you sharpen my sabre for me? "'It's got bl- Petya feared to tell a lie, "'and the sabre never had been sharpened. "'Can you do it?' "'Of course I can.' Likhachev got up, rummaged in his pack, and soon Petya heard the warlike sound of steel on whetstone. He climbed onto the wagon and sat on its edge. The Cossack was sharpening the sabre under the wagon. 
I say, are the lads asleep? said Pitcher. Some are, some aren't, like us. Well, and that boy, Vicenny, oh, he's thrown himself down there in the passage, fast asleep after his fright. He was that glad. After that, Pitcher remained silent for a long time, listening to the sounds. He heard footsteps in the darkness, and a black figure appeared. What are you sharpening? asked a man, coming up to the wagon. Why, this gentleman's sabre. That's right, said the man, whom Pitcher took to be an hussar. Was the cup left here? There, by the wheel. The hussar took the cup. It must be daylight soon, said he, yawning, and went away. Petra ought to have known that he was in a forest with Denisov's guerrilla band less than a mile from the road, sitting on a wagon captured from the French, beside which horses were tethered, that under it Likachev was sitting sharpening a sabre for him, that the big dark blotch to the right was the watchman's hut, and the red blotch below to the left was the dying embers of a campfire that the man who had come for the cup was an hussar who wanted a drink, but he neither knew nor waited to know anything of all this. He was in a fairy kingdom where nothing resembled reality. The big dark blotch might really be the watchman's hut, or it might be a cavern leading to the very depths of the earth. Perhaps the red spot was a fire, or it might be the eye of an enormous monster. Perhaps he was really sitting on a wagon, but it might very well be that he was not sitting on a wagon, but on a terribly high tower from which, if he fell, he would have to fall for a whole day or a whole month, or go on tumbling and never reach the bottom. Perhaps it was just the Cossack, Likachev, who was sitting under the wagon, but it might be the kindest, bravest, most wonderful, most splendid man in the world whom no one knew of. It might really have been that the hussar came for water and went back to the hollow, but perhaps he had simply vanished, disappeared altogether and dissolved into nothingness. Nothing Petra could have seen now would have surprised him. He was in a fairy kingdom where everything was possible. He looked up at the sky, and the sky was a fairy realm like the earth. It was clearing, and over the tops of the trees clouds were swiftly sailing as if unveiling the stars. Sometimes it looked as if the clouds were passing, and a clear black sky appeared. Sometimes it seemed as if the black spaces were clouds. Sometimes the sky seemed to be rising high overhead, and then it seemed to sink so low that one could touch it with one's hand. Petcher's eyes began to close, and he swayed a little. The trees were dripping. Quiet talking, quiet talking was heard. The horses neighed and jostled one another. Someone snored. Ozhegzig hissed the sabre against the whetstone, and suddenly Petcher heard an harmonious orchestra playing some unknown sweetly solemn hymn. Petcher was as musical as Natasha, and more so than Nicholas, but had never learned music or thought about it, and so the melody that unexpectedly came to his mind seemed to him particularly fresh and attractive. The music became more and more audible, the melody grew and passed from one instrument to another, and what was played was a fugue though Petcher had not the least conception of what a fugue is, each instrument now resembling a violin and now a horn, but better and clearer than a violin or a horn, played its own part, and before it had finished, the melody merged with another instrument that began almost the same air. And then with a third and a fourth, and then they all blended into one, and again became separate, and again blended, now into solemn church music, 
now into something dazzlingly brilliant and triumphant. Oh, why was... why that was in a dream, Petra said to himself as he lurched forwards. It's in my ears, but perhaps it's music of my own. Well, go on, my music now. He closed his eyes, and from all sides, as if from a distance, sounds fluttered, grew into harmonies, separated, blended, and again all mingled into the same sweet and solemn hymn. Oh, this is delightful, as much as I like, and as I like it, said Petcher to himself. He tried to conduct that enormous orchestra, now softly, softly die away, and the sounds obeyed him, now fuller, more joyful, still more and more joyful. And from an unknown depth rose increasingly triumphant sounds. New voices join in, ordered Petra, and at that, and at first, from afar, he heard men's voices and then women's. The voices grew in harmonious, triumphant strength, and Petra listened to, the, to their surpassing beauty in awe and joy. With a solemn, triumphal march, there mingled a song, the drip from the trees and the hissing of the sabre, oh, zig, zig, zig. And again the horses jostled one another and neighed, not disturbing the choir but joining in. Petra did not know how long this lasted. He enjoyed himself all the time, wondered at his enjoyment and regretted that there was no one to share it. He was awakened by Likachev's kindly voice. It's ready, Your Honour. You can split a Frenchman in half with it. Petra woke up. It's getting light. It's really getting light, he exclaimed. The horses that had previously been invisible could now be seen to their very tails, and a watery light showed itself through the bare branches. Petya shook himself, jumped up, took a ruble from his pocket and gave it to Likachev. Then he flourished the sabre, tested it, and sheathed it. The Cossacks were untying their horses and tightening their saddle, saddle girths. And there's, here's the commander, said Likachev. Denisov came out of the watchman's hut and, having called Petya, gave orders to get ready. All right, there we go. Petcher falling asleep at the wheel there a little bit and kind of uh, hallucinating. What a great chapter. He's just enjoying this dreaminess that's coming over him and it also just made him look so young yet again. All right, there's that chapter for you. Thank you very much for listening and I will see you tomorrow.